Hi, I'm Jacqueline Freeman. And I'm Sarah Korn. You're listening to Kitchen Table Alchemy, living in full color. This is a podcast for people who see and spread the magical in everyday life. Hello, welcome to the Kitchen Table Alchemy podcast. So, um... We're going to start off. Today is actually full moon. We're recording on Saturday the... 21st. Thank you. Um, Saturday the 21st. So we've got a full moon in Sagittarius, for those that that know more about that stuff. But um, my teacher, Brianna Saucy, sends these um, lunar letters. That's how I first got introduced to her. I signed up for her lunar letters. And they're just beautifully written. Um, And so this one she was talking about happily ever after, right? Which is something that we see in fairy tales all the time. And she talked about this, um, and this is really in alignment with like the sort of energy of this moon right now. Um, cause the energy of this moon is really about like, if you're clear on your intentions and you know where you're going, this is the full moon, as we've talked about before, is a really good time to release things at the time of completion. So it's a really good time to release, to start making room for new things. And if you're clear on your intention and you, you know where you're going and you can see it's a really good time right now to clear the things that are in your way, right, for these hags that you have, these big, hairy, audacious goals that you've got, right? So, But if you're still in a place of ambivalence, then you got a lot of work to do, right? Because it's um, it's going to bring it's going to bring that up, and it's going to feel like everything's in chaos and all falling apart, and you don't know what you're supposed to do next. So well, that sounds like me yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think people are like, "Oh, is that what's going going on this week?" So, um, but in this lunar letter, she was ta- Bree was talking about um, happily ever after. And how in the modern time, right, we have this idea like it's this sugar spun kind of silliness, right? Like nobody lives happily ever after. It's all pain and torment, you know. Um, And she was talking about this rub that we often have, this idea that um, you either have happily ever after and live this sort of like vanilla, mundane, predictable, stable existence, right? Or you have this fabulous, amazing life full of creativity and adventure and joy, but you're going to be lonely, right? You're going to either come home to no one at all, or what you come home to are going to be these big existential struggles. And she, she was talking about how we have we think these things are mutually exclusive exclusive from one another, but they are not. Right. Oh, you are right up my alley. (laughs) I thought you might want to talk about that today. (laughs) I know it was like such a beautiful idea. Right. And, uh, with the release work that I've been doing this week as well, it, it really fit into the crux of that for me, right? Like, it was exactly what I needed. I read it at, like, 3 o'clock this morning and was like, oh, oh, it was just what I would... Thank you! Like, this is why you're my teacher. So... <laughs> but, yeah, jump in. Cause yeah. That- <laughs> um, well, this is actually an idea that I became consciously aware of a few years ago and actually created this whole... Um, 
a thing I call the and triangle to understand it and and figure it out. And I actually made an and triangle just the other night because I was trying to work through this this problem or this challenge I was having where I was like, I want this, but I also want this. And how can I have, you know, both at the same time and not have to sacrifice one dream to have another dream. And um, so I think it's a thing that a lot of people struggle with. And, and, and the challenge is that we tend to assume that there's only either or. You know, you have to pick one or the other. Or there's, I also realize there's this thing in the middle, um, compromise, which is, so if you imagine a, if you imagine like a spectrum, like a line, and on one side is the one thing, and then on the other side is the opposite thing, and you want there's pros and cons to each and so there are some things like you want the adventure of you know a life that's full of well adventure (laughs) right right, but then you also want some predictability and having someone that you can spend your life with and that kind of thing so so you have pros and cons for both and then compromises where you sort of try to do both but you're only kind of getting half of one and half of the other, and it's sort of a cobbled together imperfect solution. And then if you take, so with the and triangle, if you take those two points, the either or, and then you go up to bring them together to the top of the triangle, then that's where you have the and solution. And it's, you keep, um, keep the best and leave the rest. So you take the pros of the two either ors and you move them up and that's your and solution right it's the best of both worlds right and then so then the challenge then becomes how do i create that right and so then it goes from a a problem of how do i pick a or b and becomes a creativity and a problem solving challenge of how do i create a circumstance that has the best of both worlds right Yeah. And I think a big part of that too is letting go of external, like what we externally think that's going to look like. Yeah. Right. Right. Yes, that's so true. Because you have. And opening up to that there may be answers out there and paths and avenues to what you want that you haven't yet conceived of. Totally. And trusting the universe to just sort of surrendering and saying, okay, universe, bring me that awesome thing that I don't know I need, <laughs> that, that I kind of know I need, but I don't know what it looks like yet. Yeah. Exactly. And I think, cause I think a big part of that is, um, like going through that list of pros and cons, right. And deciding, I mean, a part of that is getting clear on what our needs are. Hmm. Right. And really like deconstructing each of these options so that we're really thinking about what is it that actually feeds me here? Mm. Right. Like, um, do I, do I want, so in this idea of like the happily ever after in these two different relationships, right. So, so, so one is this, you know, grand cosmic through the lifetime affair, right? You've, you've been Adam and Eve in the garden. You like ruled over Babylon. You like did all these amazing things, you know? So you fought off the Britons and Celt in the, in the, as a Celts together. Like, so there's all these like cosmic amazing things, but there's no stability there, right? When, when it's bad, it's really bad. Like, you know, so, but, but, uh, 
Um, and then on the other side, you've got this the safe relationship. The safe relationship. That is boring. So right that yeah. like you know you know where you stand. You're you're financially taken care of. There's lots of stability there. Um, there isn't this like could they die or leave me like. <laughs> thing happening all the time you know so um like uh oh i lost my track of thought where was i going so oh oh yeah so like breaking these things down and thinking about like what you really need from each of those right and i think a lot of times too as i'm describing those two situations i'm sure there's a lot of people listening that are immediately thinking of people in their lives like oh that's the so-and-so for me right Mm -hmm. and and that's this person. This yeah. So yeah. we start getting like, we, we start getting really wrapped up in the outer package, which is that specific person. Right. Mm, yeah. So if we're thinking about, okay, well, what was it in that relationship that I did really love that did really feed me? Right. right. So maybe the, the, the wild epic adventurous one was that there were these like amazing, deep philosophical all night long talks. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, and with the one, with the, the stable relationship with the house and the picket fence and the 2.5 children or whatever, (laughs) um, maybe the thing there is knowing where you stand with someone. Mm -hmm. Right. So like if you're, if you're just sort of like listing those different pieces out and attaching them, detaching them from the specific person or the specific situation, then you start, that's how you start building your and solution. And so dropping those external expectations, dropping attachment to outcomes, right? Yeah. And really focusing on what it was in that particular relationship that fed me. So I don't need to have the the all night long cosmic conversations with my partner, right? Right. So you can get that. I can get that with other people. Yeah. So if I am willing to like, no, but I have to be sleeping and having sex with the person that I have <laughs> massive conversations with, well, then it starts getting, you start really limiting yourself right. and keeping things out of your life that you love and that you need and that feed you yeah. because you're putting these restrictions on it. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up because there is, I think this idea that we're supposed to get everything that satisfies us from one person. They're, so unfair. And yeah, and that's a lot of I mean, th- flip it the, right, <laughs> flip it the other way. Like not only does it become is it really easy to get in this place of like I'm never going to find anybody to love me, you know? Like not only does that happen, but what would it feel like on the other side? To what be would that it, person right? Has what would to it feel like, like everything to someone? If else? you have to be everybody to someone else, yeah, you have, you have to, to be their best of- friend and their their you know their partner in the bedroom, and then take care of the house and and you know career woman right. and everything. Totally, yeah, just. You have to be their mother, their best friend, their their mate that watches their football confident. games, right, their exactly. confidant, <laughs> their yeah, like just like. <laughs> Like, I can't breathe anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's really suffocating. So, so it, there's a tremendous amount of pressure yeah. to put That's into your relationship. That's why I encourage my friends, you know, who are married. I'm like, it, you know, if they're like, well, my husband or wife doesn't like to do this with me or that with me. I'm like, go do it with friends. Like, get, I mean, I know people, and and I was like this too when I was married, is that, like, my 
only real friend was my spouse. And, and, you know, it's like, if you don't have other friends that you can go do stuff with and have fun with and get those things that you don't get when you're with your spouse, then that's, yeah, it can create a lot of tension. Absolutely. Or you end up chopping off pieces of yourself. Right. right? And starving yourself of that need. To pretend like you don't need it because, well, he can't give it to me or she can't give it to me. So and Jason, like Jason is my best friend. He really is. But they're like all night long existential conversations. If, if any of you have met Jay, like, <laughs> yeah, like no. that's not happening with Jason. It's just not going to happen with Jason. But, but because he is the man that he is and we have the relationship that we do, he's not going to be upset if I'm getting that somewhere else. Cause he doesn't want to do that. Right. He doesn't mind watching it. Right. So like when, when family comes and stays over, so his brother and I can stay up until four <laughs> o'clock in the morning. Like his dad, his brother is like the quietest guy you've ever met, but he has got this mind palace. Right. <laughs> and so before I met his brother the first time, he was like, Oh, you're not going to get two words out of my brother. He's not going to say anything. I'm like, just wait. Just wait. I am the introvert whisperer, and I will be able to get this guy to talk to me. And I did. Jason was like, eyes wide open, like, whoa, you know. But, you know, he's, like, Justin, his brother, is is an intense introvert. He has no interest in, um, like, small talk at all. Right. So, unless you, like, have watched him well enough to know, I guess, like, where his, you know, where what where his interests are, like, it's kind of funny to watch family members struggling to connect with him, because they'll ask him <laughs> these questions, and he's like, nope, sure, sometimes. I mean, that, that's <laughs> like it. And you can tell they've thought really hard before they came, because the question is, like, a really well-thought-out question, except for the fact that apparently it wasn't open-ended enough, right? But, like, <laughs> it's so it's so funny to watch it happen. But the first time we met, he was still in pharmacy school, and, of course, I had been... I was an academic coach in a med school, so I was talking to him about his studies. So we had this really long conversation about studies and learning and how your different approaches are and what works and what doesn't and what happens inside your head when you're doing things that don't work. You know what I mean? So we had this really long... So, and Jason's like sitting watching this, right? And then there's been other times after we've watched a movie together as a family and everyone else goes to bed and Justin and I are still talking and Jason's like sitting there watching like a ping pong match, right? So he doesn't have a problem with it. My partner in Holland did have a problem with it. And it was one of the many things that destroyed our relationship, right? He didn't want to debate with me, which I also love, right? (laughs) So he didn't want to have like passionate like discussions or debates with me he also was not a a big talker right but then he would get really jealous if i was having that with someone else Mm, yeah right which was not fair right so there's an arabic saying about um like tying up the cat but not feeding it right Right, like that. This is one of the worst sins that you can do is to tie up a cat and not feed it. And of course, it's not just about cats, right? Like, right. it's it's like not allowing um, not allowing someone to take care of their needs themselves, but then also not providing that for them. Right, right. You can't do that to creatures. It's not fair. So it's one of the things that I think in looking for an and solution, if we're talking about relationships, like we have to be really honest about what our needs are. And, um, and then we have to also look honestly at what their needs are. Mm -hmm. And if we can't meet those needs or if they can't meet ours, then we need to be open for finding that in other places. And obviously there need to be boundaries around it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, 
so, okay, well, I can't have existential conversations with you. I'm not, I'm not going to get mad at you for not having existential conversations with me because that's not fair. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but I'm not also like have to decouple intellectual intercourse with physical intercourse. <laughs> right. Like there's a lot of us that are like that. Like, okay, if my head's there, boom, here we go, baby. So like, <laughs> so I have to decouple that, right? right? Like, okay, then it has to be platonic situations or it has to be, you know what I mean? Like there right. have to be those, those boundaries around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so there have to like, and Brene Brown talks about this a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, like the need for, um, and she calls it B I G right. Boundaries, um, integrity and generosity. That if we're walking into these um, spaces, holding on to that big, um, then then we're going to be able to find these and solutions mm-hmm. and live in a much more wholehearted space, right? Yeah, yeah. And you know, I something that I realized uh, recently is that um, that with love, you know. Love is one of those words, there's many different flavors, and it's often used in a lot of different contexts, and and I realized that it, it was helpful to me anyway to sort of deconstruct, like, the different sort of pieces of love and being in a loving relationship, because there's, there's like, unconditional love when you just think someone is amazing and you love them and you support them no matter what. And then there's like desire and then, you know, and then lust and then there's obsession. uh, Right. And then there's, (laughs) there's, um, you know, and then there's like filial love, which is like a protective, like the way you feel about towards a family member. And then there's, and then there's all the stuff that comes with relationships, like when people are in a relationship for companionship or they're in a relationship because, you know, for economic reasons or social acceptability or, you know, like there are so many different pieces. And so, I think sometimes, for me anyway, when I've been confused about how I feel about someone, it's because there are certain boxes that are checked, you know, in terms of what our relationship is, but then there are other boxes that aren't checked, and I want those boxes to be checked. But like like you were saying, it's like, wait, where do I stand with this person? And so it helps to sort of deconstruct all of those pieces and go, like you said, what am I getting out of this relationship? And what is in our relationship and what is not in our relationship. Right. Right. And I, and I think, um, Oh, I had it. My brain's going offline again. Um, Oh, I know what it was. So like for, for me, one of the things that I did before, um, before I met Jason, so this was the processing that I did after my, um, after my divorce with Hisham and, um, and it's the, one of the processes that I walk my clients through. Right. I had realized um, after my divorce with Hisham, every major relationship that I'd had, they met all my tick boxes, right? I had this long checklist as mm-hmm. many of us do, and they had met all, all I, they, they ticked all those boxes. But then once I got into the relationship, I realized that the relationship was hollow, huh. right? And I, I did not feel loved. 
right? I didn't really feel like I belonged with them or that, right? I didn't have a sense of belonging. I didn't have a, a, a sense of deep safety. I didn't, right? Um, emotionally, the relationship was hollow. And I realized that I had been, um, look at these checklists that I had, I, I wanted uh, I wanted a man that was in touch with his spirituality. I wanted a man that was like, you know, hardworking and, and was going to be there. I wanted a man, right? So I wanted all these things because I thought if a guy has this stuff, then it means that mm. this kind of atmosphere is going to be created, right? I thought those were the requirements for creating the space where I would feel safe, protected, loved, encouraged, right? Like all these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So, um, and so after the, the, after the divorce with Hisham, like I started was, you know, combing back through this again, like, okay, well, what happened? Because like the checklist was there and everything got mad. And yet yeah, that was like absolutely the worst relationship I've ever had. Part of what went wrong was me guarding myself. Right. I thought, okay, well I got hurt this way. So now I'm going to protect myself to not get hurt like that again. And so I saw that my relationships were getting worse and worse and worse. Right. Um, and you get hurt. So you protect yourself even more. And right. And that just, Exactly. And it was not making my relationships better. It was making, it was totally making them worse. And, uh, so one of the things that I'd started doing, I call them like, like pressing emotional bricks to make your emotional house. Right. So Hmm. if I was having an experience of belonging and it didn't matter if it was my religious community, friends, colleagues, right? It didn't matter where it took place. So again, mm-hmm. this is about letting go of expectations that it's going to be happening with the person that we share a pillow with, right? right. Um, but whenever I would have those experiences of feeling really like I really belong here, right? Then I would I would like press that relationship into a brick if that makes any sense. I would really like, oh, this relate this experience, this emotion, this is what I want my relationship to feel like like focus on it and sort of save it away right it's like i'm grounding it okay right right. like i'm holding this this feeling right here this feeling is what i want Mm. right as opposed to you know oh my god i want somebody that looks like george clooney do you know what i mean like (laughs) you know and i i want him to have this kind of job and i want him to like be involved in his church and or his synagogue or whatever wherever your background is right so um or i want him to be an activist or i want him to be you know whatever So, um, but it's focusing on the, on the emotional component there, right? That's where the focus is as opposed to the shell. Because even things like, oh, I want him to be really active in a social justice world or uh, a spiritual place or, right, like those are still external roles. Right. Right. And it's still saying I want somebody else to be this certain way. Right. It's putting really, it's putting big limitations on stuff, right? So, um, so, but, but focusing, okay, I'm, oh, this sense of belonging, this is what I want in my relationship, mm-hmm. right? The sense of support when I really don't know what the hell I'm doing, like, this is what I want in a relationship, right? Yeah. Like, so whatever, whatever that feeling is that I really want my home to be full of, right? right that that gets Ooh, grounded like that. into this emotional brick. And then you build your house with that. Right. So, um, and it was really interesting when I met Jason, uh, there were a lot of things that checklist brain was like, Whoa, wait a minute now. Right. Like yeah. checklist brain had all these red flags, right? He's 10 years younger than I am. He'd never been in a major relationship before. Like all this stuff that was like, Whoa, I don't know. 
we need to stay away from that, right? Like, <laughs> so, all this kind of stuff. But I could not deny that how well he fit in my emotional house. The way I felt with him mm-hmm. was what I had been working on for two years, right? There was no denying that. So that shut down, you know, and there was the like, and I, um, and then, you know, because he's 10 years younger, it was like, well, what if he wants to have kids and I'm done with kids and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. So one of my f- wonderful friends was like, oh, so you're just going to make that decision for him then. Oh, right. <laughs> right. That like someday he may want kids and he's going to resent you. So now. yeah, totally. <laughs> so you're just going to make the relationship, you're just going to make the decision for him that children really are more important than what he's telling you they are. And so therefore yeah. you should break off the relationship for him. Okay, great. Yeah. Way to like <laughs> take over and make his decisions for him, you know? So I'm so glad that I got called out on that. Right. Um, cause now like, you know, he sees groups of kids and he's like, punks you know (laughs) so it's like okay good yeah this is good (laughs) when we were house hunting last year one of the places that we went up to it was in arcadia it was a lovely house it was a beautiful neighborhood right but there was like this birthday party like two doors down he was like if we live here we're gonna have to put up with these punks all the time like they're (laughs) eight-year-olds In Arcadia. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Arcadia punks. Anyway, so. <laughs> but I could not, I could not deny the feeling, right? And that's true. Like, my head can bounce around. My head can talk me out of things. My head can trip me out. But that feeling was undeniable, right? Mm-hmm. And it was so easy because of that. It was so easy to be around him. It was just like breathing. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so it just, and, and I'm someone that, you know, had two of my three major relationships with people that were in the military. So, um, so I was very accustomed to people being gone for long amounts of time and I was fine with that. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, okay, send me like sexy little letters, send me cute (laughs) presents. Let's have like honeymoon anytime you've got leave. Right. Um, and then go on your merry way and let me do my thing. Yeah. You know, like I was totally, totally fine with that. So like, it was shocking to me that I could have someone like see him every single day and, and that still felt comfortable. Yeah. And be like, why are you not getting on my nerves yet? Cause you should <laughs> really be getting on my nerves by now. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But that he fits so well in my emotional house. And if I had been in checklist brain, I would have missed that. Yeah. Right. Cause I think checklist brain does get into this either or, right? Whereas the emotional is definitely the place of and, but you're going to have to drop the external expectations. Yeah. All right. So next we wanted to talk about uh, something interesting that came up on a Facebook post this past week. Uh, someone had posted a acceptance speech that Angelina Jolie gave Um, And basically, in the video, she says um, that there are other women out there in the world who are just as talented and hardworking and, uh, you know, loving mothers and that, um, you know, don't have the privilege and the opportunities that she has and that she wonders why is that. Um, But the best she can do is sort of make the most of what she has and um, that... 
her mother had said to, um, you know, take what you have and be of use in the world. And so then there was an interesting comment that someone made about the video. And uh, do you want to read it? Yeah, let's read the comment. She she expresses it really well. She and, does. And of course, Angelina says what she says much better than how I just summed it right. up. Right. So yeah. you can... Uh, you can um, we'll share it. We'll sh- find that. Yeah, we'll put it on the the uh, kitchen table alchemy. If it's not there already, but um, so someone uh, responded, and this didn't happen in the kitchen table alchemy group, so I'm not going to say their name. But um, she said, "I agree with her beautiful sentiments. I will also admit that the pressure to be of use and to maximize one's potential at every turn can be crushing and overwhelming in itself. So it's a fine line between trying to do it all within one's range of gifts and getting burnt out." Any advice for that would be pure gold. And um, and we agree. That's an awesome comment. So we thought we'd throw this next uh, yeah. this next segment at the, the, the ocean that that is. Yeah. Well, and, and sort of in a similar vein of what we talked about in the last segment, it really, a lot of it has to do with expectations. Yeah. And I, I could totally relate with what she was saying in that comment. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've been there. And, um, and, and what I've found is that usually that pressure to do it all and to be, you know, having so much worth in the world is really coming from myself that I'm putting that pressure on myself. And so sometimes I've had to sort of step back and say, wait a minute, (laughs) maybe I'm being a little too hard on myself and maybe I should ease up on my expectations. Because I think it's, it's even um, kind of sliding into that and counterbalancing that at the same time, right? Both and. Um, it's the the viewing viewing ourselves again from that victim perspective and not recognizing the power that we do have. The I can't do it all is yeah, and kind of what I'm doing, and I can never do enough. Mm. Right, like that's right into. I'm not enough, right? So then we're we're talking in shame voices, and we're and we're talking out of the perspective of the victim. So, um, which does feed into expectations, right? But it's so there's an expectation there, but there's also a kind of it's the same uh, emotional pattern that's under greediness, right? Greediness is based on nothing being enough. Right, like really greedy people at, live in a in a scarcity mindset. Even when they're living in mansions. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like you know, they themselves own more than the next like you know two million people, but it's not enough. Still, they're still hoarding. They're still pinching. They're still trying to get because they live in a scarcity mindset. Right. Right. It's never enough. So it's the same kind of emotional pattern underneath that greed has. It's a kind of emotional greediness. And then we end up. It's just giving away instead of taking. Taking is there will never be enough. So I'm taking, taking, taking. And this is sort of the opposite of I can never give enough. I can never give enough. And so you just like drain yourself. Right. And and leads into the same kind of place of resentment and anger towards yourself and others. Right. Right. Yeah. It's going to have that same um, end result of barricading yourself off and and saying, well, screw you guys. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. so, yeah. and again, it makes me think of um, what we mentioned in the last segment with Brene Brown talking about the BIG, right? The having boundaries, 
mm-hmm. so that you can move in integrity and 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 act in generosity right so um but but a big part of of this is seeing um recognizing our own power and seeing the power in very small actions Right. Right. And that, and that works both ways, right? There was another post I'd put up earlier this week too. That was like, you don't have to have like malevolent intent to do great harm. Right. Right. But you also don't have to have tons of money and, and, and have full-time availability to do great good. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Like there's, there's this incredible power in small intentioned actions right and um which i think a lot of times we don't realize we think that to have a big impact on the world we have to doing be doing big giant things and and you know large scale um which so i'm you know and and i've been i've been struggling with this myself um in fact um that was one of the things that charlene when she did her and medical intuitive assessment on me. She's like, I'm seeing that you're giving away your power. And, um, and which of course creates this neediness thing, right? Right. Because then when you're giving away your power, you need someone to give it back to you. Right. And so it sets up this whole, this very unhealthy dynamic. So that's something that I've been working with lately to reverse that or sort of break that pattern. And, um, uh, which was one of the reasons that, you know, I posted this video recently on Facebook and like, <laughs> attempt to do that, which, uh, yeah, I won't like go totally into that right now. But the thing that, um, that I had done actually before that, once I, you know, I was sort of, this idea was put forth that I'm giving away my power. I was like, Oh really? And then, um, and then I started to see, oh, yeah, I guess that is kind of happening. And it, you know, it wasn't necessarily something that I set out to do. Because, I mean, who right. really intends to Nobody give away their power? Like, no one, right? Yeah. It's you know, just like, What am I going to do today? That- I'm going to get four loads of laundry done. <laughs> I go pick up that thing from Walgreens and give away my power. Right. Yeah. yeah like it doesn't- <laughs> <laughs> so if I can give away the power before I have to start dinner, then that would yeah. be great. But, and, you know, it can happen after dessert, too. And, and one thing that I've been working on growing in lately is love, is be more open to love and, you know, getting, you know, into a new relationship, right? Which is scary stuff and has, of course, tied into power. And what I realized is, so I had this realization, I thought, okay, so my power is, is mine. It's for me alone. It's, you know, it comes from my source. It, it's, uh, and it's something that stays in me Mm -hmm. and it can radiate out. And the way I think of it is like a lighthouse light that um, brings in the good sailors and repels the pirates and is like, stay away, pirates. <laughs> and like, so it's like a, a, a beacon that calls in the people I want in my life. And then it's also a warning beacon of, you know, stay away from the rocks or whatever. And, and, and what I realized was really cool about that is if I say, okay, if I keep my power and that's mine and that's my rock, then... I am safe to be in a loving relationship because I am not giving away my power to them and I don't need them to give me any power. And so because I have that stability to stand on, I can give and receive unlimited amounts of love without 
me being diminished in the process because that was something that I realized was a real underlying fear whenever I thought about getting into a new relationship was, you know, what if I love them too much or what if they don't love me enough, you know? Which means there's no boundaries. Right. Right. Which is something that was part of the downfall of my last relationship is I just did not have good boundaries at all. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it, it, so, so it's that, that, um, because I think we, when we get in touch with all the things in the world that seem to be lacking, right. And all these issues and social justice, and, and I mean, Julie does such a beautiful job of articulating that, right. That somewhere there's a woman in the world with just as much talent, with just as much love for her family, with just as much passion for um, for the world. And, um, and yet here I am, why do I get to be in this place? Right. So when we, and I think this is one of the things too, that's really, um, beautiful about dismantling our own privilege, right. Or, um, like examining that and recognizing it. I think a lot of people are really afraid to recognize their privilege. And one of the things that I've come to understand is that, as I recognize my own privilege, I increase in gratitude. Right. Right. Yeah. To deny my privilege is to push away gratitude. It's to be ungrateful. Yeah. And, and I think the reason that people are so, um, you know, that there's that sort of instinctive unwillingness to recognize privilege is, is because it does create, or it can create a guilt, right? Of why, am I so much more privileged? There's that sense of unfairness and that somehow you are to blame for this unfair situation. But of course you're not to blame for it. It's just, (laughs) we're well, blame clicks on a shame, right? But so if we use Brene Brown's like definitions of shame, shame being the, I am bad. Right. And guilt being I did something bad. Mm -hmm. Right. So the guilt is empowering to get us to make changes, whereas the shame um, does the exact opposite. Right. So then we end up staying. Right. Then we end up staying in these cycles. Right. Then then, because we feel powerless here. So when we're in when we feel powerless, then we're living in lack and then we attack or we take or we, right. So then we get Mm -hmm. into all these really negative behaviors and attitudes, whereas the guilt can push us to like, okay, before I, before I woke up to this place of privilege, I was bent, you know, and I'm still like my place of privilege as an educated white woman, right? Like, um, I'm still benefiting from these systems, right? So, um, I'm benefiting from these systems and I have my own places where I don't have privilege, right? There's a lot of things in my background that, that, um, that put, you know, when I've done those privilege walks or whatever, Mm -hmm. like I'm in the back. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Um, but, but I do like, once I recognize my privilege, first of all, there is this space of gratitude that you step into. And I think the shame keeps us from stepping into that place of gratitude. The guilt doesn't necessarily, it's not comfortable, but it doesn't prevent us from stepping into a place of gratitude. 
Right. So if I recognize my privilege and recognize, you know what, there are lots of women in this country that are as smart as I am, as powerful as I am, as talented as I am, as passionate as I am, as good with words as I am, right? But they don't have the opportunities at their fingertips the way that I do, right? Mm -hmm. They've got a lot more hurdles and obstacles they have to come over before they can get to that space. Like once I'm in that place of, I mean, once... Once you're in that place of gratitude and recognizing like, wow, I, I really have been, I, I've had to struggle a lot in my life, but there are other people that like, I am my greatest obstacle. Does that make any sense? Mm -hmm. Right. So for all the struggles that I've had to overcome, I'm at a space now, right. After having alcoholic parents and abuse and things like this, like that was against me and there was, wasn't much I can do about it, but I'm a grown up now. So my obstacles now are, is myself. <laughs> if I get out of my own way, then there's a lot of things I can do. There are a lot of other people that once they get over their own way, they're still going to have external obstacles smacking them in the face. Right. So having that sense of gratitude that, okay, you know, yeah, I have to struggle. It's really hard and I have to work hard, but it, it could be so much more worse for me. Right. If, if I had a, a different religion, a different skin color, come from a different place. So, um, once I get into that space of gratitude, rather than sliding back into shame, which I think is what the commenters and, and, and right, that that's the, the thing that you're pointing towards there, that it feels overwhelming. Like there's never enough I can do. Like I could spend all day, every day working like crazy to try to turn this stuff around and mm -hmm. would just be overwhelmed and burnt out and feel like there's nothing I can do. And then we like just go, Oh my God, I can't do anything. And we just stop. Right. Um, and then we go back into the place of denying the privilege that we have and getting angry at people that remind us of the privilege that we have and, and things like this. Right. Like, but there, if we recognize the privilege and we recognize the power that we have, then we begin to see that even the small, that there are lots of small actions that I can take right now and integrate into my schedule that, that will make a big difference. Right. Yeah. And especially too, when they are combined with other people who are making a little, little moves here and there. And that's something that I think is the biggest, um, the saddest thing about when people do sort of say, Oh, there's nothing I can do and, and shut down. And, and I know I've been in that place myself is that, if you, you know, when you've got all these people sort of throwing out their hands in frustration saying, I can't make a difference, there's nothing I can do, then, then people aren't, you know, doing those little things. But when you take a lot of people doing small things and you combine all that effort together, it adds up. Yes, it does. To big, to big impact. And, yes, it does. And, you know, as you were telling that story about, you know, even if we could dedicate ourselves to, you know, activism or whatever full time. So I had a, an experience just like that, but with my business. So when I started my business three years ago um, to become a freelance writer, I quit my job cold turkey and just said, I'm just going to go out there. I'm going to bootstrap it. I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to dedicate myself to it full time. Cause when I had a full time job, I was like, well, I don't have enough time, you know, in my schedule to start a business. It'll take me years, you know, to get my business mm -hmm. going at this rate, you know, that kind of thing. So I was like, I'm just going to just go full time and just dedicate myself to a hundred percent. So that's what I did. 
And ironically, what I discovered was that even when I was working in my business full time, there still wasn't enough time yes. for me to do everything that I need to do. I still yep. need to be able to outsource stuff. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I can speak to that personally is that even, and I'm sure there are people out there who have dedicated themselves full times to being philanthropists or activists or, you know, trying to make a big impact and who are still running up against the walls and still finding that they're just, they can't do enough, you know, quote unquote. And so that's where really the power of people working together uh, really comes in. And and uh, so I think that's also a big part of the solution. Absolutely. Well, and, and I think we think in these, and I think this is a human thing anyway, because it's an ego thing to think in extremes and black and white. Mm-hmm. But I feel like being in a country that has a um, a two party system. We have more than two parties, by the way, but we only talk about two of them. Um, so, being in a system with a two with a two party political system, like all of our 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 mindset is very extremist. Mm-hmm. Either or, right? Yeah. Because our you're with us or against us. Like um, it it. We only when we talk about major major issues, like we put them in terms of: do you ban it or do you put no regulations? Like this is so many. Like really, people, come on! I mean, neither of those obviously is workable. The right. solution is going to be somewhere in the middle. And having lived in the Netherlands, I mean, it's this country the size of a postage stamp, and there are thirteen political parties. Yeah. Right. So um, it means that every conversation. There's 13 different perspectives, and really, there's only there's like four major parties, right? Mm-hmm. So, Still. but even right, four to five major parties, and whenever you talk about any issue, you're getting four or five different perspectives. Like yeah. that makes a huge difference in how you look at solutions, how you frame things, and so we do. We 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 tend to move through the world with this really extremist mindset that you know you do this or you do that, which is what we're talking about in the last segment too, right? With the happily ever after and finding like triangulating to find that and and um like so as opposed to i'm not going to think about this crap anymore at all and then get mad at people that call us to do that right versus um you know i need to just quit my job and do and and live in a hovel and do this full time do you know what i mean like there's so there so options. many things in the middle yeah um that we can do to do that and i think uh, for people in privileged positions, the easiest thing to do, um, although, well, easy depending on, because uh, it's itchy, but is to learn, right? Like, be open to other people's perspectives, like, listen to how they're seeing things, be willing to sit with the uncomfortable emotions it brings up when we hear how things that, and, and that's, of course, part of privilege, it's not even thinking about stuff, right? Like that's the ultimate privilege is to not have to even think about things that have tremendous impact on other people's lives. Right. Um, that's one thing that I've definitely become even more aware of lately is that everybody has their own frame, their own sort of pair of glasses through which they're seeing the world and it's colored by all of their previous experiences and their beliefs and, and, no one's perspective is exactly the same. And so I think that's an important thing to recognize is that we all see things in slightly different ways with different nuances and we get triggered by different things. And, and 
So understanding that we can, that other people have not only other concerns, but other solutions and ideas. And yeah, I love that idea of being open to that. I think it would be great if we started, you know, doing some things, you know, in our group, you know, maybe we can post on Facebook, like some that you told me the other day, some, a little list of like small things that people can do. And I think that would be great to share with people. Um, and then I also think that we need to also have, other people to choose from in terms of the elections so that it's not just, you know, this usual parties. I mean, these days with social media and everything, like anyone could run. I'm writing your name in for president. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't want the job. You um, don't want the job either? That's how I feel about it. No, I'm a, um, and, you know, and it's, it's, and it's interesting too, because like somebody that's really effective in, in legislature, right, like being in the House or something, isn't necessarily somebody that's effective as a president, mm-hmm. right? Because you have you have rabble rousers, you have people that throw out questions that challenge the status quo, and um, you know, like that has a purpose, and it's really important to have rabble rousers in your bodies of legislation, right? You got to have somebody that stirs the pot that doesn't accept the status quo. Oh, is that quo, the job that, that's more up your alley? That's <laughs> way more up my alley. But <laughs> I am I, senator then, senator. Because <laughs> I am no, I, I am no good. I like, I put everything, I'm no good at politics. Yeah. Right? Well, I was I put everything on the table. <laughs> you know, I yeah. let my cards be seen at the beginning. I don't, you know, no. I was, no, I was thinking of you because I was, I was like, what does the president do? They mostly like meet with people constantly and i'm like well as an introvert that would be like the worst job ever and i'm like jack leads an introvert she would be great at or extrovert she would be great at that and she's I like put a- people in their place and call them out on their bs i need a lot more like alone time than presidents get i think yeah. <laughs> i hear you on that one. yeah but i but i think like just that idea of um uh and this is kind of going off from where I thought we were going to go, but um, like I love the idea of changing our government to where, say, with the House, that the parties would get the amount of they would get the percentage of seats in the House that they got percentage of the popular vote, right? So, so that there is representation because a winner takes all system mm. is not yeah. representative. Yeah, the electoral college like so needs to go. <laughs> so, well, and I have a friend that was making arguments the other day about how the electoral college actually balances things out, and that there's a few states that nobody would even look at if it weren't for the electoral college, right? That it's a way of balancing populations, um, which I'd have to think about more to to come up with a an opinion or questions or go further into that or whatever. But I think a winner take all system is not representative. Right. But at the same time, all the things that are happening in Capitol Hill right now, like this is, this is a reflection of the things that we are doing inside and they are just manifesting that. Right. Right. So, and they also have thrown their hands up in the air and acted powerless. Like you have an incredible position of power in one of the most powerful countries in the world. And, and, and they're throwing their hands up and saying, there's nothing we can do. Do you see what I'm saying? So, so instead of getting angry and blaming them, okay, if we can take responsibility for that and say, okay, how am I feeding into this insanity? Is are there places in my life where I mean, if if 
here in America, if you're, if you've got the technology to listen to this podcast, you're in a position of power. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It means you have access to, to technology. You've got access to Wi-Fi and internet. You probably got a data package. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of, of, of privileges and power that has gone into people even just being able to listen to this podcast. So being in that space, okay, first of all, recognizing that I have the power and then now what can I do with it? Right. And it can be, I think the first step is education and finding out about things, but then we can start seeing decisions that we can make depending on where, wherever it is that we're um, feeling really called to help right? So are there brand names that I need to avoid because they're feeding into these really big issues? And are there brand names that I want to support because they're working really hard not to feed into those issues, right? Um, are there, how do I need to change how I shop? How do I need to change how I, uh, how I get around, right? Like for me this year, for example, I gave my car up. So, um, it's, and it means I have to shift things around, right? I mean, I'm living in a place where I can do that. I have, you know, but, um, it, so there's lots of, di- there's lots of different decisions that we can make on an everyday basis to, to shift our lifestyle around. But the first part of that is recognizing that we have power and letting what we can do, um, like to be, to recognize the power and the small actions that we take. Right. I think if we're always thinking we no, I don't have enough power now. I need to get more power before I can do anything. Well, if that doesn't sound like the recipe for being a tyrant, I don't know what is. Right. Which really brings it back to what um, the Angelina Jolie video said, which is do what you can with whatever you're given. All right, so now let's talk about, let's get practical and (laughs) talk about how we can take what we've discussed today and turn that into some action in our lives. Right. Yeah, a lot of the, uh, so a lot of it is an internal work, right? We're seeing, again, um, how important it always comes back to internal work. I know, right? You got to get it sorted out on the inside before you can. That really works, though. Like, I've been doing that and it really does work. There's a reason that we're beating that theme to death. <laughs> yeah, or beating it to life. Beating it, it to life. Right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as the case may be. But um, yeah, so like working on expectations uh, was one of the things that came. Uh, being aware of where our expectations are um, when we're putting pressure on ourselves. Yeah, and letting go of that. And I think the the. The things to kind of watch for are if our anger is flaring or if resentment, which is, ang- you know, like anger toward, turned and like steaming inside or whatever. If our anger is flaring, then it's a really good place to be like, like, Ooh, let- what's causing that? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So rather than rather than assuming that where the, wherever the anger is landing should be destroyed to pieces or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, like to say, OK, wow, if the anger becomes your um like your flag guy, like, Hey, dig here, you know, and kind of take a step back and check, okay, what are my expectations of the situation right now? Are they reasonable? Are they fair? Right. Um, cause it's, it's, and once we get into that, like, am I, am I giving, am I giving my power away in this situation? Yeah. Yeah. I think anytime that 
um, I find myself feeling powerless or thinking that I don't have power or control in a situation, it's a good idea to question that and go, yeah. really? Is that really Is that true? really true? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that goes right along with the ex- it's expectations and assumptions, right? We yeah. we have all these these set of internal assumptions and expectations about what is real and how things are and what we can and can't do. And so that red flag of anger is a great sign to start questioning what are my ex- expectations here? What kind of assumptions I'm making? And then question those and say, is that really true? Can I simply change that? And I think that's one of the beauties that one of the things that I love about doing this work is that you can change reality with your thoughts. Right. And I, and I want to say there's some quote out there. I can't think of what the quote is, but something like change your thoughts, change your life, change your reality. And it, it doesn't seem like you should be able to do that, but it really does. It's amazing what a difference it makes when you change your perspective on something, when you let go of an expectation and you open yourself up to other possibilities, when you question an assumption and go, you know, maybe that's not actually true. Right. Yeah. And I think it it doesn't always happen above the surface with just head stuff though, right? Like it's a lot of times changing those thoughts is acknowledging the emotions that went behind it. And there may need to be grieving or some kind of ceremony that happens to let the emotional part go. Right. So I think for a lot of people that are like, well, I I do change my thoughts and the same thing's happening. Oh, right. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Cause that assumes that everything can happen sort of above the, if we think of our shoulders as being like the earth line, right. Mm -hmm. Then we think that everything can happen above the shoulders, but, but this, there's a lot of stuff that'll need to happen underground mm-hmm. um, for that to for that to really be effective and not keep coming back up again. Yeah. Um, and sitting back to but but we need to be honest, right? So it's it's really looking at the looking at what the emotions are doing in that space yeah. and being willing to feel things to let them go, right? Yeah. And that's I and the analogy that I came up with recently was. It's um, sort of like you have an ocean. Like what you were saying is the surface of the earth. I was thinking the surface of the ocean. And and that's what, you know, we want people to see is what's on the surface. And that's what we're putting out there. But then underneath are all these, like, sunken ships, <laughs> which is sort of these the wreckages of these past experiences and things that have created those assumptions and those expectations and those feelings, the things that's the stuff that's under the surface. And so sometimes there are things that happen that's like dropping a huge, like a huge boulder that's pushing aside all the water, exposing the wreckage. And that's when we get the anger and the surf, the stuff starts bubbling to the surface, all this wreckage and, and our tendency, our ego wants to push it all back down. Like, no, no, hide all that crap. Right. 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 <laughs> like, that's ugly. Which that's- just leaves us feeling overwhelmed. Right. <laughs> right yeah, yeah, totally. Cause you're trying yeah. to move the ocean to cover yeah. the stuff back up again. And yeah. yeah. And so that's the experience that I had when I posted this video recently on Facebook and I was really angry at the time. And it was, um, you know, now I look back at it and I'm like, 
Okay, so I'm I'm glad that I went through that experience, but <laughs> I also uh, because I did I was able to work through a lot of stuff from that, and not yeah. just from posting the video itself, but from talking to people and seeing people's reactions. And and what I ended up was I I it was sort of like I found the buried treasure that went down with the ship, and so now I've you know I've cleared away that stuff, and I've got this. Yeah. You know, this new treasure of new beliefs and, and um, you know, a better perspective on things. Um, you know, but at the same time, I realized, you know, with, with the, when you have, when you're triggered by something, you have that strong emotional reaction. It's like, um, I feel bad that I like emotionally barfed on everybody. <laughs> 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 so now I'm like, okay, maybe next time I will do that in private. Be careful where you point that thing. Right, exactly. <laughs> careful where you point your anger. Um, but but so it's good that I expressed it and I got it out there, but it's also, you know, uh, I, there's a time and a place, too, for right. doing that work because it yeah. can be really intense. Yeah. And, I, and, <clears throat> and, you know, I know that one of the things that you learned from that experience, and we're laughing about be careful where you point that thing, right, was that... Um, <laughs> Uh, the anger was directed at at these people that were calling you to do more, right? When when it was really um, like letting the anger surface and listening to what the anger said. In the process, afterwards, you discovered, oh, this is really about anger at myself, right? For for not for not doing as much as I think I should. Right. Yeah. Right. So then yeah. we go into expectations, recognizing power, seeing the things in your everyday life that you can shift, seeing the places where you need to do more research and, and find out more things, right. Seeing the places where you listen to other people's experiences, like all of that goes into, um, all of that goes into recognizing where you're pointing that thing. Right. right? And, <laughs> and also too, the, one of the really big gems that I got out of that was, realizing that I had sort of this recurring issue about not feeling heard. And because that was sort of the the anger was people aren't listening to me and they're not hearing my side of the story. And, and I actually, I was like, well, I agree with the activists and the right that I should do more. But, you know, um, I wish someone would listen to my side of the story. But I realized that that was really just, you know, again, it wasn't like they were intentionally trying to shut me down or anything. That was me you know, not feeling her because I often wasn't listening to myself. To yourself. Yeah. And yeah. so it all, it really can, um, you know, you can find the source of everything by looking back within yeah. yourself. Right. And it's, and, and as you experienced, it's not purely a cognitive shift, Mm-mm. right? Like yeah. there is a cognitive shift there was, involved. Oh, it was there was ugly, a lot of emotion. Uh, you wouldn't even see, you didn't even see like all the stuff that came out. Like. I'm sure. I'm sure. I saw a big chunk, but yeah. yeah. So, so it was, yeah, as you experienced, it wasn't just, oh, I will change my thought. And therefore right. like recognizing that you needed to change your thinking required a lot of emotional work to get that thinking to truly shift. Right. Yeah. So, um, so it is, it is, uh, I think really important. Um, and for those that feel frustrated by, well, I've tried to change my thoughts and things aren't changing. That emotional component is really important. And, and on a, since this is supposed to be an implementation station segment, <laughs> um, and look at us, we got all like theoretical again. Um, so, uh, <laughs> But putting back to that sort of practical things that we can do, right? Um, 
like focusing on the emotional experience when we're trying to build things that we want to have in our life. Right. Um, so that was one of the things that we talked about in that first segment. I'm going to start doing that. (laughs) Um, is really, uh, focusing, focusing on that emotional experience. And I, I call it pressing emotional bricks, right. But it's really about grounding that experience. Yeah. And saying, Oh, this is great. And being grateful for it in the moment and saying, and this is what I want more of. And, and I like to thank the universe in advance for giving me whatever it is that I want. So I'll be like, this is so wonderful. I love it. And thank you for giving me more of it in the future. Yeah. Yeah. This is going to be awesome. I'm going to like this. This is going to be great. Yeah. So like really, and, and you know, we, we, we're always doing that. Right. So that's the thing too. Like when we're having negative experiences, we're also grounding negative experience. Mm. So, so it's, so, but we don't, we're really quick to ground negative ones, right? We do that all the time. Um, but we're not very quick to ground positive ones. So becoming very conscious about that and, um, working from that place of gratitude and seeking those emotional things. And instead of tossing them away and saying, well, you know, uh, no, it felt really great then, but I don't know those people that well, or they're just work friends and they were just being, you know, like, stop that. Just stop. Yeah. Just, you know, you had that moment with that group of people or that time or in that circumstance and it felt amazing. And so you want more of that feeling and then really grounding that emotional experience while detaching, um, expectations of how that's going to look. Yeah. Right. So, because once we step into that emotional house, that is undeniable. The, the mind will bounce back and forth. But when you, when it, when you have that, like, Oh, it just feels like you can breathe and everything just came off your shoulders. Um, that, that is, uh, something you can count on. Yeah. That's a good compass right there. Yeah. Were there other implementation things that we need to talk about or did that hit everything? I think we got it. So press your emotional bricks and watch where you point that thing. (laughs) (laughs) 